You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. Charles Bukowski, the transgressive author, famously said, I think I need a drink. Almost everybody does, only they don't know it. I have 25 years of experience traveling the world, finding great bottles, and my own adventures. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. Rennie Chun has over 100 bylines in the New York Times and numerous magazine pieces, from Wired to Atlantic to Los Angeles Magazine. His work has been featured in the anthologies of the best American sports writing, the best American crime writing, the best business stories of the year. He has interviewed everyone from Steve Martin to Martin Scorsese and many, many more. He's been a great friend for decades. I'm sitting here with my longtime friend, Rennie Chun. I've been dying to do this interview because he is so prolific and has met more interesting people than most people I know. I love the guy. He's an ex-model. Uh, I think it was predominantly gay rag stuff, wasn't it, Rennie? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, no, not at all. Uh, but... <laughs> I just want to say thanks for uh, uh, you, you do what here. you got to do to make a buck, John. So, <laughs> Rennie and I uh, started in the restaurant business together. Uh, California Pizza Kitchen. Calif- oh my God! I didn't even think about that. Beverly wow. Hills. Beverly Hills. That was a long time ago. I was thinking the New York side when you came to New York and we uh, did a, did some uh, stint at Mesa Grill. But, right. Right. But it goes back to Los Angeles and. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. And the, uh, and the, what was the, uh, the free clinic? Where, uh, I think they <laughs> yes. had a, they, yes. you used yes. to joke they had a picture of me in the free clinic. Well, we, we <laughs> joked that there was a plaque for both of us, okay? Because we, yeah. we had to go there for massive doses of that, penicillin. That's, yeah. uh, that yeah. was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we're both married, don't have kids. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so were you writing in LA? Did I not know that? I or? was not writing in LA, John. I was, um, I was just having fun. My, my, uh, <clears throat> my day revolved around working out, eating a very, uh, uh, efficient, high protein, low carb diet. Right. And getting just the right of ultra, you know, the right amount of ultraviolet light right. in my body. <laughs> yeah, and, and dating women. And, yeah, that's, and that, was, uh, that was basically yeah. it. Yeah, yeah those, those yeah. There was put, no writing being the, done in Los Angeles. The, uh, no. the vain no. days that came later. Uh, yeah. Actually, you and I became best friends when uh, I moved to LA. You're right; it was at California Pizza Kitchen, mm-hmm. and um, you were really ridiculously vain. You're a good-looking guy. Uh, but you were obsessed with your body. I and never then, met a, mir- a mirror I didn't like. That's that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then nothing to do with cocaine. Uh, it's just <laughs> his looks are more powerful than cocaine. Uh, but you said to me, I didn't know anyone. I just moved there, and you said, "What are you doing for your birthday?" Right. And I said, uh, "I don't know." And you said, "Let's go out." And we hung out, and we went to Park Vendome, right? Or right. Vendome, yeah. Sunset, yeah. Yeah. And had a bottle of champagne. Yeah. And, and you know what that place is famous for? That is where they shot the scene in American Gigolo. Where where uh, uh, Julian Kay, played by Richard Gere, met Lauren Hutton. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So then you come to New York, mm-hmm. and then we we waited tables a little bit. Then and then how did so how did you get into the New York Times? Because I mean that was a that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it, it got to the point, John, where where uh, I mean what do the people on Wall Street call it? The velvet handcuffs. I mean this was more like the felt handcuffs. I mean we were we were basically making enough money to survive and live well in New York mm. 
Um, but you basically have to make a move, like you did with, with selling wine. Mm. And, um, and I sent something over the transom, and you asked me, what does that mean? Well, it mm. means basically you, it's like code calling someone. You just, right. you just send someone your copy mm. and hope someone reads it. Right. And so uh, this is, uh, you've never heard this story before, but, uh, and I've never shared it with anyone and because it's so embarrassing. But uh, it was Barbara Streisand. Okay, she was in town. She was hmm. she was making her big comeback, right? Wow, her, and, her for the fifteenth time. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. and uh, and I knew the New York Times did stories like this on on sort of the, these pop culture moments. So I sent something quote unquote over the transom um, <clears throat> about her comeback, and um, and they got back to me, and uh, and not only did they get back to me, they published it. And it, and, it, and, it, and it sort of jump-started this entire long-running relationship with Eric Asimov, who you know, right? right? Yeah. I mean, he's the restaurant critic, and now, mm. now he's the wine critic of the New York Times. And we had a very unique writer-editor relationship in the sense that I didn't even have to pitch him stuff. I would just write stuff and send it to him, and he would publish it. So because Dreisen was the first piece? Streisand wow. was the first piece. Okay. She was she was she was coming back. She was doing this big concert series at Madison Square Garden. <clears throat> so what's the hook? That I mean, this as you say, it's a transcend piece. What's the hook? Why does Asimov read and go, "Wow, this is great"? I mean, because I, you obviously know, everybody was writing about. I think this, I, I think to, I think right? it was it was it was I was lucky in the sense that everyone at the Times at that point they were just launching the style section. There was no one at the the New York Times with any style. Okay, they were all basically middle-aged people who were living in the suburbs and didn't know what was what. And right. I was living in Manhattan and knew exactly what was going on right. and was going to the right clubs and, 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 and mingling with the right people. And, <clears throat> and they said, we better latch on to this guy. And it got to the point where sometimes I had three pieces in the style section every week. Right. No, I remember it, it was it was weekly and yeah. people that we knew and And I was working in a restaurant at the oh, time. Oh, I know Lawrence <clears throat> uh, who was one of the owners of uh, Mesa used to come in and you know, I'll do my Lawrence impression. He's like, "Man, Ronnie Chun's killing it. <laughs> He's a superstar." Uh, I just saw Lawrence. Uh, but um, yeah, because I remember it was like, yeah, Man, this is crazy. And here's the thing, John, and, and, and what do they call it? They call it imposter syndrome is, mm-hmm. is what people who are in the arts call it, where you, 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 you live deathly afraid of the fact that you're going to be found out that, you're, yeah, that, that, that your talent really isn't all that. Right. And, that yeah, and that people are going to say, okay, go home. You know? right. um, I was working in a restaurant at the time, and I was having all these pieces coming out in the New York Times. Right. And I was afraid to cut that lifeline. I was afraid to not live with that safety net of, of bringing home 150 bucks a night waiting tables. Right. And I was working at Savoy at the time, okay? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Peter, who was the executive chef there, um, who was a good guy and, he, and, 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 and very well read. Right. And he, and he started reading my stuff and he said, you know, you, you have to stop because you're, you're good enough to do this. You don't have to wait right. tables anymore. And I needed to hear that. Right. To, to actually make that, that leap, right? Yeah. From, um, from waiting tables to actually um, writing for a living. And I remember, I remember specifically the day. I was living in London Terrace, this, this huge, 
you know what this this block the fashion, the fashion projects <laughs> as it was a fashion yeah I mean it, yeah right. exactly exactly right. I wrote a piece about it for the right. Times but um, I went to the um, and I was living with with my girlfriend at the time Yolanda who I'm now married to and I went to the mailbox daily regimen open up the box and there were four checks there it was one from Condé Nast and there was one from the New York Times and there was right. one from Hearst magazine right? right and 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 I said I can do this and, right. I, and, and just the idea that you could generate money by tickling the keyboard right that was just that was just too good to be true yeah. so yeah well I, I you have the that. mind for it and the research for it I mean uh, anyone who's listening should look at <clears throat> reniechun.com I mean you're just prolific and uh, whether it's the end game piece uh, about Bobby Fischer, uh, it just reads like somebody who's doing insane amount of research, which we were discussing earlier, uh, the fate of where journalism is, journalism is now. Yeah. Is those that you're, I think you get a lot of work because your stuff is so well-researched. There's not one stone that's yeah, not I mean, I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit I do too, too much research, actually, because... Um, I over-research pieces because whenever people say those two dreaded words, if you're a writer, right? Writer's block. Right. Basically, it's essentially, if you get to the crux of the problem, it's that you haven't done enough research. You right. don't know the subject good enough, whatever it is. Right. Um, <clears throat> and I tend to over-research um, uh, pieces, but there's an advantage to that in the sense you know the subject so well that you become a, a, an expert Right. You know just enough to be dangerous, to, to use the hoary cliche, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that you can write with some sort of authority on it. Right. And, and, and interview subjects appreciate that because sure. writers don't usually do that. Right. Um, whether it's something as, as, as insignificant as a celebrity interview mm-hmm. or a, uh, a really deep investigative piece. Right. I mean, you really have to, you really have to drill down. And no, I, I, I read your ketamine piece, which is really brilliant. And ex- to exactly what you're saying, you know, I'm sure anyone you're interviewing, doctors, pharmacists, you, you, I mean, the questions you're asking immediately put you at their level. They're like, oh, sh- this guy knows what he's talking about. I, I need to give him the real deal. Um, yeah, you know what's interesting, John, about no matter who you interview, whether it's a celebrity or a scientist, there's a reason they got to where they, where, where they are, that station in life, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that's always fascinating to me, that, that, that narrative trajectory. How did they get to where they are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's something that, that, that uh, never gets old for me. I mean, it's, it's, I could do a lot of things. But I choose to do this because I don't get bored, right? And I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't just do one thing. I don't just talk about food or electronics right, or whatever. Right. I mean, it's, it's everything. It runs the gamut. So I know, politics, uh, exactly. Yeah, uh, we were, we were talking earlier everything. about just the, the right. state of journalism, right? I mean, it's yeah. the best of times and it's the worst of times for journalism, right? right? I mean, on the one hand, you have... Uh, some of the best pissing fights in the history of journalism going on right now about who can break the best Washington stories, right? right. And on the other hand, you have fake news, quote-unquote, and you right. have um, blogging, right. and you have all this other crap that's going on, yeah. right? You I, have to sift through it. It's, I, the, the problem is most people don't have the attention span to sift through it, and they want the cliff notes to everything. Yeah. And that's the, unfortunately, that's a large selection of the population. And... It's, uh, 
I think it's why journalism is in the state that it's in right now. Um, it, it used to be a considered. It is one of the legs of the justice. Well, system remember, remember when all the president's check. men came out, and right. remember Watergate. I mean, yeah. all of a sudden there was this surge in people who wanted to be journalism majors in right. college. Now it's gone the other way, right? I mean, right. Um, people don't necessarily want to be journalists. Now we have computers. We have algorithms that are writing news stories, right. okay? And how many clicks can your story get? And yeah. if, if that's what you're writing for, yeah. a click, yeah. the objective is so different. It's not finding the truth. Yeah. It's not looking for anything, but how do I get the click? And that's... Yeah. Uh, I, I, do th- I, I do think that the pendulum will swing the other way. I, I do think that we'll, we'll get to a point where it will be so much digital overload that we will essentially um, go into an analog mode and people will start reading the written word and um, appreciating what investigative journalism is all about. Yeah. It's so funny. You see it in other fields. I, I think about it when, like, the whole uh, resurgence of vinyl that's happened in the last yeah. decade. Yeah. Um, it's a good I, analogy. Yeah, I think people are uh, they're hungering to go back to something that takes a little bit more time, uh, a little bit more ceremony, and, and takes a little bit more uh, digesting um, intellectually. And yeah, and, and, and it's funny that you bring up vinyl. I'm looking at you. You have a, a, a turntable over mm-hmm. there in your office. And right. there's a reason um, that people think vinyl sounds better than a digital file. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with specs. Because if you look at the specs, digital should sound better, right, right. to the human ear. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily. Right. All right? And, and why is that? Um, it has to do with all kinds of things, from the tea ceremony of putting vinyl on the turntable and going through all that and getting the dust off the vinyl and dropping the needle. Um, I think there's something to be said the same for journalism in the sense that you really have to work for it. You really have to dig it out of the ground. Um, And and it's it's something I think that is... uh, you know, I, I don't have any illusions in the sense that the people have shorter attention spans today, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But my son, who's, who's, who uh, just recently turned 20, I mean, he knows the difference between a blog that's written by some kid right. in his mom's basement and a professional journalist. Right. Okay, so that gives me hope. Right. Okay, because the quality is like night and day. I mean, there are people I love. I like Mike Taibbi. He writes yeah. like you write. I Rolling mean, Stone. Just, it is just so well researched in depth, and he has such point of reference. It's it's uh, basically where I, I I missed Bill Clinton more for his uh, his genius because he would start mentioning books and points in history that I barely knew that made me go, oh man, I've got to go look that up, or I've never heard of this author. Yeah, I don't I think I don't think that, that this younger generation will not read long-form journalism. I'm doing something now for the Los Angeles Times, for instance, on a, on a sperm donor um, that woke up one day and found out, he had, found out he had 20 kids. I think the problem is, is that writing is too boring because if there's one commandment, um, as far as writing goes, don't bore the reader. Right. Right? Yeah. Okay? Um, it's got to be like writing a pop song. Mm-hmm. You need a hook. Right. You need, um, you need to grab the reader by the collar and just say this is important and 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 speak in the vernacular of the pop culture and just hit him between the eyes right by the way um, what are we drinking here? oh what is okay this? so yes so uh we are drinking a cote de bruy 
Uh, Xavier Bagnier is the producer. Uh, there's a small little importer called Go wow. Boy Selections. Uh, so uh, to your uh, suggestion, I match now my wine to my people. So mm-hmm. uh, this is a, uh, a kind of more of obscure. Um, but sexy. Beaujolais. Oh, yeah. It's very <laughs> sexy. Very sexy and a bit cheap. <laughs> uh, and uh, Cote de Brie, so there's good brewery, value. And right. then in the south, there's, a, there's just a volcanic hill, Cote de Brie, that um, is famous for this blue volcanic wow. it's, uh, it's, stones. It's really good. And soil. And uh, so you don't see a lot of it. So I thought this would be a brilliant wine for summer. And it's summer a good summer and, red. It's not oh, too it's, heavy. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's uh, 100% Gamay, mm. like Beaujolais mm. is. And... Uh, I love the wine. It's it's weird. It's like I can actually feel some of that volcanic soil, mm-hmm. that uh, that blue stone, and right. uh, it's uh, you savor. It tends to have a little more intensity when it's from Cote de Brie, which means the hill of Brie. But uh, and that's the other thing. You and I have always um, uh, jammed and got got together uh, because of our food and wine backgrounds. Yolanda, your wife, is an amazing chef, cook, uh, and we've had incredible meals with food, wine, and. And many, many times at the Cape in New York City and New Jersey, everywhere, yeah, yeah. everywhere, everywhere. We try to, uh, yeah. There's no such thing as uh, shitty dining when you're with the chums or the coils. Uh, It's uh, it's step up. Yeah, absolutely. um, So the other story was kind of interesting because it broke the television um, genre, which the which was the mole people. The Mm. story about Nadine, who was a right, uh, was a a Soho had a. I'll give you the backstory yep. on that. Yeah, so sure. I was I was I was work I was writing for both the New York Times and New York Magazine at the time a lot about fashion. This was the height of the supermodel era, and this was um, I mean that was dominating the culture at the time. Obviously, you had all these incredible Amazons walking around on the catwalks. Right. And so I, I was I was interviewing one of these people once in a showroom, and they said, and they told me about the mole people. And I, I had never heard that term before. And she told me exactly where to go, okay, uh, and and exactly what to do. She said, "You you 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 stomp with your foot on this this metal plate in the the median of Canal Street." So right? Is it manhole cover? Three or? times. Well, it, it, it's one of it's it's one of those 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 uh, industrial plates. Oh, I got you. That sure. you lift up to right. to go down into the subway, right. you know, and um, and so I did that. And they opened it up because they thought I was one of the, the fellow mole people. And um, I said, look, I'm doing a story for the New York Times. Um, would, would, would you participate in this? And they said, yes. And so I went down there. And there was this whole subterranean world where, where they had everything from setting up electricity. Uh, they had televisions down there and heating units and, and everything else. And I said, wow. And <clears throat> what made the story interesting was this, this, this protagonist or this anti-hero, uh, right. Nadine Johnson, mm-hmm. who had this very hip uh, uh, clothing boutique in, in Soho. And she came home one day and the locks were changed. So th- this, is, this, is, this is sort of the one percenter nightmare, right? right. Um, <clears throat> her Japanese husband had locked her up because she had basically become a uh, a junkie. Right. And he wanted to, to just lock her out of her their life and take them away to Japan, and that's exactly what he did. And he had, they had children as well. Yeah, so. they had a couple kids, and he took them to Japan, and uh, she became a junkie. And so it became this, this story 
that I wrote about it in the New York Times, and that became a Dateline NBC piece. And next thing you know, Julia Roberts wants to play Nadine Johnson <laughs> in a movie, right? So this is this is pre. Uh, obviously, Julia Roberts was trying to sink her teeth into a gritty role. So this is pre Aaron Brockovich. Yes, right. yes, right. yes, 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 so, yes. Uh, what was good about it is is that this guy read the piece, who was a very wealthy individual, um, to the extent he had a private jet, and he just flew me and Nadine to a detox place, wow. and we we dried her out essentially, and got her um, got her sober. Right. But basically, nobody and, has has has. Um, she disappeared for like three. Yeah, years. she disappeared. We right. had a we had a hunter down in a shooting gallery right. in East Village, Jeez. and and uh, so imagine this: we we have a, a a limousine idling curbside, and I go into this this shooting gallery and say. And there are all these notorious people walking around, and I'm like, what am I doing here? Are, are you worried for your safety at all, or are you just focused on the story? I'm a little out? worried. Yeah, I'm right. a little worried. Yeah. Um, How could you not be? Yeah. Right. And, and uh, yeah, because it is what it is. Yeah. And, and I – so, anyway, I talk her into coming. We put her on the plane. We take her to the rehab center, and she gets straight – and it's 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 this fuzzy feel good story, mm. and and uh, it goes from there. And uh, but but that is that's why I do it. Mm. I mean, because of something like that where you make right. a difference. Yeah, you know. I mean, and I don't I don't want to sound Pollyanna or anything like that. But right. But but it's true. Yeah. That's that's the power of journalism. And any idea what she's doing now? Last time I heard, she was doing okay. She she had um, uh, gotten back together with her sister, who she was estranged from, mm-hmm. and they were actually getting back into the business of, of selling clothes again. So how the fuck does Julia Roberts not do this? No, it's funny, because you mentioned Julia Roberts, no. and another thing that happened was that Glamour magazine called me up and said... We have a story. It's a big star. We can't tell you who it is, but would you go on a date with her? I said, okay, fine. And then they called me back a week Twist later. Twist my arm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and they <laughs> right. said, it's Julia Roberts. So we go, we go into this uh, uh, dinner party situation, and Julia Roberts is my date. And <clears throat> but it's, it's these, these really out-of-touch sort of bohemian people, and some of them don't even know who... It's hard to believe, right? But I'm sitting at the dinner table... And the woman sitting to Julia's immediate right says, oh, so what do you do? You know the ego of these people, right? right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was insane. And he says, oh, I'm an actress. Like, hey, could, please, uh, I think this woman's having a stroke next to me. <laughs> she yeah, doesn't know who I am. Yeah. And so she, John, she says, I'm an actress. And she says, oh, really? Anything I might have seen? And Julia says, oh, yeah, a little film called Pretty Woman? And, didn't ring any bells. I mean, it's hilarious. What restaurant do you work at, honey? I'll, I'll come in on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... So where was this dinner? Uh, it was just at a loft that they had set up somewhere in uh, a Soho. Yeah. And the So what was the, uh, I, the point of the piece? You, the point, to, the yes. point of the piece was that Julia Roberts was this down-to-earth, real person. And, and really? you never know with actors, right? Yeah. Because... Sure. They've got the chops, and they can do whatever they want. Sure. Um, but, but Julia Roberts, I'm like, this is the woman that was Lyle Lovett? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's my, that's my right. competition? Right. No, no. But it, it's, uh, 
Was she, did, was she married to Lyle, Lyle Lovett then, or just dating? Was she? Or? No, she she had she had separated from him at, at, by that time, but um, she was charming. Yeah, and oh, just I think she's and you know what? Beautiful. What's interesting is that some people, some celebrities, especially uh, celebrities that look good on screen, they look fantastic, right? And then you see them in person, mm-hmm. and they look terrible, right? Julie Roberts looked exactly like Pretty Woman or Aaron Brockovich, or, wow. or any of these people. You know, and, and I'm not one of those journalists who would basically, who poo-poos the whole idea of, of you know, I remember I was, I, I was at some sort of, uh, uh, one, one of these sort of Elaine's, if people know what Elaine's is, it's, yeah. it's, it's one of these uh, bars that, that uh, uh, journalists uh, have hung out um uh, at it for decades. Yeah, it's Breslin, it's Pete Hamill, exactly. It's every, every actor who's come off Broadway yeah. is there. That's where they're dining that exactly, night. Sure. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's like their canteen, okay? Their little clubhouse. And, and, and I just, uh, I've never been one of those people that said, I don't want to, I, I was there once, and, and this guy said, oh, I hate uh, interviewing journalists or, or interviewing uh, uh, celebrities because they're uh, they're so boring. I'm like they're not boring. Right. There's something about them. Sure. That got them to where they were, and there's some sort of interesting story there. You just have to ferret it out. Right. You know. Uh, and and you can immediately tell the people who slept their way to the middle or the top. Yeah. Then the people have general charisma. Yeah. And I also find um, a lot of celebrities had the power to just stick with it. Yeah, you know what's interesting is that when I was sort of d- during that whole uh, uh, sort of fertile crescent period, mm-hmm. I was um, uh, that whole period was was dominated by the press people who were the gatekeepers of the celebrities. Okay, mm-hmm. now it's all changed. Now, right. now, you know, Twitter and and everything right. else. Sure. I mean, it's it's. Uh, so Julia Roberts, cool. Yeah, very Foodie cool. wine person. Very cool. Look, we went to Hogs and Heifers, I think. Oh, okay, and, that's and great. So, you know, it was, it was so the, she can hang it the old meatpacking days. Yeah, done. sure. Yeah. I remember the bras on the ceiling and shops yeah. and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's great to hear. I love hearing um, great stories about celebrities mm-hmm. um, that aren't like they, they're really good people because uh, it, it breaks my heart when they're, you're like, they're well, what's, just what's, what's, what's the old axiom about how they put their, they're just like us, they put their, their pants on one leg at a time? Mm-hmm. They're not like us. Yeah, <laughs> they aren't. They have a stylus. Put they, their their, their pants on one leg at a time. Absolutely. Yeah. Fast forward. Um, mm-hmm. Joey Buttafuoco oh. and Amy Fisher, the Long right. Island Lolita. Forget about uh, it. So, oh my God. So he had a cable access show in L.A. Yeah. that I think you sent me a clip of years ago, mm-hmm. early '90s, right? Um, which had the worst theme song I've ever heard. It was like something like Joey, Joey Buttafuoco, jo-, and he's on a Harley. So you interview him, right? Uh, and how, how does that go? New York because, Magazine yeah. basically said we're going to do a Joey Buttafuoco cover story. Do you want to do it? And I said absolutely. And they said, here's the catch: we don't know where he is, except he's in Los Angeles somewhere. Okay, and you have to find him. So but you live on stuff like that. You well, love that kind of shit. I, I love that. I yeah, love the that's challenge. That's real fucking right? investigative. Okay. Yeah. And and so I go to I, I go to Los Angeles and I'm sort of airdropped into the belly of the beast and um, <clears throat> I find him. He's in the valley. Okay. Where else would you be if you're Joe Buttafuoco? Right. right? Sure. You're not going to be in West Hollywood. You're <laughs> going to be in the valley. And uh, and he's working at a garage. 
and and uh, I track him down, and not only does he, um, I mean, he threatens my life, yeah. basically saying, if you come back, I mean, it's really Scorsese type of dialogue, yeah. right? I mean, I'm going to. Oh, is this because he read the article and then hated the article, and now he's threatening no, your no, life? No, 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 no. Oh, he's the, fucking with the, you from the, the start. The, this is this is just because he's Joey Buttafuoco, and and uh, and I understand it in the sense uh, that that he feels that he's been wronged by the media, and so I always tread softly like that. But but uh, I, I was just happy I found him. Right. right? I mean, sure. we're talking about a big city. <laughs> It's huge. Rolling. The valley is as big as most states. Exactly. The valley just goes on yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. No, yeah. exactly. It's, yeah. it's Oklahoma. He's been wronged by the media, like statutory raping Amy yeah. Fisher. He's been wronged by the media, right? Yeah. But uh, you know what? I mean, I, I, I remember that period so vividly because it really, when you, when you, when you say those two words, Joey Buttafuoco, right. what does that smack of? That smacks of basically... If you start a timeline, that's the beginning of the trailer park trash, celebrity, oh, right. Beverly Hills housewives, um, train wreck Kardashians. Yeah. That whole thing started right then. Yeah, okay? that's true. That's, that's that, the benchmark right because there. Because I, I, I used to equate it with the... Uh, the white Bronco and following OJ. <laughs> exactly. Where, um, where were you when that yeah, happened? Right. I know exactly where I where was were heading. You? I was I was heading to Cape Cod and I was like on my way to get married and Wow. Um, and so it was uh it it sticks out in my mind, but I was waiting tables. Right. So I I'm thinking you're you're exactly right. That is the beginning of uh, that really down slope of our you know it was bizarre because I was waiting shit. tables and I was more in I was more concerned about bread getting to table four. <laughs> Whether this, right. you know, sports hero had actually killed someone in, in right. Brentwood, right? right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then you hunt Buttafuoco down, and he's threatening you from the start. By the way, not a small guy, right? No. Pretty he, he's big. He's a very intimidating person. Intimidating guy, right. Yeah. And he's got the action, like, I'm going to fucking kill you, you mm-hmm. fucking... Uh, and I know you had a... Um, uh, afterwards, uh, and I do remember your article because I laughed hysterically at one line, and you're going to correct me on this, but it was like um, uh, he was his acting was as stiff as cardboard, but uh, that's, that's that's slandering that's cardboard. slandering cardboard. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm sure he read that, and oh my God, he wanted. I don't know if he would have understood that actually. Yeah, but, yeah. That's, but, that's, yeah, that's that's true too. Yeah, but uh, so that was a pretty a crazy interview. I'm, I'm surprised he gave you an interview. That's the other thing. You know, John, that, that's the fascinating thing about this job. I, I remember when I was working for the Times, I was I called up this guy, and that's the great thing about working about the uh, for the Times is the Times that everyone weight. takes your phone call. Yeah, sure, and everyone returns yeah. your phone call. Or and they take a deep breath before they pick yeah. up the phone. New York Times is on the line. You're like, yeah. And the guy okay. says, I've been waiting for this call for 40 years. Okay? Everyone wants to tell their story. I mean, I think that's why the moth has taken off. This, yeah. I don't know how many books are no, out a perfect the moth, example. It's just like yeah. these yeah, people. I, I've been to a few uh, of the storytelling platforms. I love them because it's honesty. Yeah. And, and it's refreshing to hear something honest and watch somebody sweat mm-hmm. and bear their soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I'm I'm doing a piece right now. We're editing for the Atlantic on um, red collar crime. You ever heard of that? Mm, no. Okay. So red collar crime is white collar crime. You're 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 familiar with. Right. 
So, okay, imagine, say, a scenario where a CEO has a Ponzi scheme, right? And he's found out by his partner or the accountant or whatever. And he decides to preserve the Ponzi scheme. I have to kill this person. So so he crosses that line from white-collar crime to Ah, red-collar crime. Okay. Okay, so it becomes homicide. Right. Okay. And so the question is, well, how often does this happen? Mm Mm-hmm. The answer is more more often than you would imagine. Right. Okay. Because the CDC, the FBI, right. OSHA, none right. of these people, even though they they keep homicide statistics in the workplace, they they don't keep track of red collar crime. Okay. Right. Um, it, it, it probably happens a hell of a lot more outside of the USA, like in in countries like the 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 Baltic states or Oh, Russia forget or about or that. It, ha- I mean, it, it just it, happens. No, right? no, no. It no. happens here, right. but people hire professional hitmen and you never hear about it. I was talking to and one of the guys, right. um, one of these for forensic uh, accountants, they're called investigative um, uh, accountants, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and uh, he says, whenever I see a headline of a CEO, a high-placed executive who dies accidentally Mm-hmm. Falls off a cliff in Maui, whatever. All right. I automatically think red collar crime. Right. You know, and goes right to the uh, probably the forensic accounting side of it. Of like, who's benefiting? Yeah, follow uh, the who's money. Investing, right. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of that's, stuff. that's right. yeah. All right. This is a great segue into Martin Scorsese. Mm. Right. Talk about. Uh, Let me tell you about Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Marty. Let's call Marty. him Marty because I just love uh, pretending I'm that close to Martin Scorsese. So tell me about Marty. Marty is one of the most down-to-earth people you would ever want to meet. And what's interesting about Marty, okay, he has asthma. He has mm-hmm. these, these, you know, the atomizers, everything. Right. It's like this, this, this sort of a support system that's right next to him, all these drugs mm-hmm. and, 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 and uh, inhalers and everything else. But what was interesting about that interview uh, was that, and this was during the period that he was doing the Christ movie with Willem Dafoe. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, sure. You're, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Temptation yeah. of Christ? Or Temptation whatever, of Christ, yeah. Whatever it was. Right. And um, it, I went to the premiere, and, and we set up the interview, and um, and I said, and this is fascinates me because it, it goes all the way back to the, to, to the studio system in the sense that you would do one picture mm-hmm. that you wanted to do, but then you had to do four pictures right. that the studio wanted that would make money, right? So this was his picture. He wanted to do this this religious picture. and But we started talking, and, and the most fascinating thing, the takeaway from that whole interview was, you know, I had heard all, you know, that he, he's he's just this encyclopedic right, history of, film. of right. film in his head, right? And he watches mm-hmm. movies all the time. And 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 I said, well, you, you can't watch everything. He says, oh, yeah, I watch everything. Same thing with like your source material of what you're reading about is like it has to be everything, yeah. and it's crazy to think that Scorsese. I love Scorsese. Look, he's voice. still making movies. Yeah. He's still shooting on film, which no right. one does. He right. still has the same editor that's cutting his film. Right. You know, um, and uh, what is it? I think it's called The Irishman. This is a mm-hmm. film oh, yeah, near and dear to your heart. Yeah, yeah, sure. right, right. Um, they're in post production right now, so um, that'll be interesting. What's your favorite Scorsese film? Oh. I'd say Raging Bull. Yeah. Or Taxi Driver. Yeah. Well, what about you? I would say Raging Bull. Yeah? Yeah, because my, my father has, has uh, spoken to me about those fights and Jake mm. LaMotta, and so I think I have a, and maybe it's nostalgic to Don't overcook the dad. steak. Yeah, Defeats that. its own purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I didn't know whether to fight him or fuck him. That's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite De Niro line. Uh, but it's just, uh, it, it, yeah, he's, he, he's an amazing auteur. Like, uh, By the way, um, we both lived in Los Angeles, and, and one of the best things about living in Los Angeles, and I think you'll agree, hmm. is that everyone is convinced they're in their own movie, right? Sure. And they're directing it. I was coming out of work one day after waiting tables, and there were like nine um, uh, LAPD like sheriff cars out, shotguns drawn. Uh, there was apparently a, a robbery of a very high-end jewelry store in Beverly Hills where mm-hmm. I was working. Mm-hmm. And the amount of people who thought it was just a movie shoot. Right. Like, I came out, being from Boston, I fucking dived behind a car. Right. Like, don't even think about it. And I'm looking up, and everyone's just, like, staring, looking for the cameras. Uh, it's like, holy shit. Did someone say cut? Like, we, we exist on two different planets. Uh, L.A. was weird. Everybody is, uh, I used to always say it's like, I love that idea, yeah. though. Though, isn't yeah. it beautiful? That, that and it's true, though. It's a perfect metaphor. We are, we are in our own movies, yeah. and and I, I miss that. I was yeah. never one of these East Coasters that said, "Oh, Los Angeles, how could you live yeah. there?" You know that that whole Woody, Woody Allen trope about the only cultural advantage to living in in uh, Los Angeles you can make right turn on red. Yeah. I never believed that. Yeah. I love Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah. LA's, I, I, I had a lot of fun there. Yeah. I think it's... Uh, um, Hotel California, baby. Yeah. <laughs> right? You can check in, but you can never yeah. leave. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I've, I've had some amazing times on, on the Sunset Strip at the Rainbow Room, and, uh, mm. which is listed as one of the few places you can catch a disease in the parking lot. <laughs> Through osmosis. Yeah. I was that kind of like free love time when I was there, which, amen, we both got to partake in. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, uh, let's, uh, so current pieces. Mm. Um, you are working on the sperm donor piece, which I think is a possibility going to be picked up by Netflix. Is that a possibility? Well, they, they shot a quote unquote sizzle reel. Mm-hmm. Um, for that right. we'll see we'll see what yeah. happens you never know I mean John you know this I mean right. it's it's everything's a long shot yeah but it's, sometimes it's the true. long shots connect you never but know you know what I love what you do is you you keep your head down mm-hmm. you do your research mm-hmm. you continue to talk and turn over every stone to see what the next story is or what is the next interesting thing that you should be talking about and I kind of do the same I think of like people why I'm doing the podcast and why I've been in the wine business I get to meet new people every single day and I don't know what door gets opened when I meet those people, right? And that's what makes it fun. Yeah. That's what your life is. And that's, people, we, we talked about The that, big right? difference is that people like you and people uh. don't like me. Okay. <laughs> John is such a people person. It's insane. It's that Irish thing. Yeah. It's, uh, the well, gift of gab. No, people love, people love you once they get, likeable. once they, once they get likeable. you. Uh, you also covered the Academy Awards for the mm-hmm. New York Times. I mean, this is what I mean. You're, you're, you, you have all this stuff that's put, like television, Netflix. Mm-hmm. Who don't you write for? Wired, Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, The Inquirer, Playboy. Mm-hmm. I mean, The Inquirer. Oh, I'm sorry, not The Inquirer. <laughs> Esquire. Sorry, Mets Esquire. He's dyslexic, folks. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's all right. Okay. Uh, although he did write that uh, UFO piece. With, it's uh, funny Wayne when you when you mention The Inquirer. Okay, that's owned by American Media. David. Packer, right? Um, Pecker, excuse me, Pecker. That's perfect. Oh. <laughs> who's embroiled in this whole uh, Trump thing? Huh. I did a profile cover story for New York Magazine on him. Right. Incredibly 
paranoid person to the point where he takes a little mirror thing that goes under the cars to check for car bombs, right? Wow. So it was, it was one of these really sort of interesting uh, profiles. That's when I became familiar with the term catching and, and kill, right? Huh. New York Magazine was on the block. He basically heard um, that this was going to be a big, big cover story and, mm. and, and might be more revealing than he thought it would be. And they basically killed the story. Yeah, it, it's... So the Academy Awards, who was... Uh, would you cover the Times? I mean, yeah. that's a great phone call to get. Hey, Rennie, uh, we're going to fly you to LA or mm-hmm. we're going to cover the Academy exactly. Awards. Exactly. And, you know, and so what was happening that year in the Academy Awards? Forrest Gump oh, was okay. the number one box office film. Wow. And so it was a dream gig in the sense that I, I'm put up at the Chateau Marmont in some suite. Right, mm-hmm. overlooking the Bar- Marlboro Man right. uh, uh, billboard on Sunset. The John Boulevard. Belushi suite. Yeah, no, no, no. He was in the bungalows in the back. This okay, is, yeah. The, this is this is this is right. is is more like um, the production head suite. This was right. fantastic. But and what's interesting about that is, is you go to the Chateau Marmont and you have people and you see these people for what they are. You see people like uh, uh, Oliver Stone hitting on models. Right. You know with flour on his nose okay and 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 you think wow yeah. these are my heroes all right okay so it was oliver stone i'm trying to think forrest gump what else was that year uh john it was only forrest gump it's cleaned up oh i know it just like seriously it was like one every- of those it was one of those years where uh the the most the biggest box office you know, and, and, and you know as well as I know. I mean, the Academy, it's, 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 it's transitioned since then in the sense that there's younger people now. Right. But it was really all driven by, by, by box office at the time. Sure. And that was huge right. hit. This was, this was Tom Hanks yeah. uh, stretching. Yeah. Okay. And, and doing his, his Oscar turn. And and the box of chocolates and all that, and, and Gary and, Sinise uh, and Sally Field, yeah, and, yeah, and, and addressing AIDS in a very kind of soft core way, in a very oblique, right, yeah, yeah, right. yeah way, yeah. And uh, so anyway, Tish, who was the uh, the producer of this film, um, I followed him around, right, and we and 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 we we spoke, and he won, right, that's right. picture cleaned up, right. And what, what what's fascinating about that. Is, is, the, is, the, is that when they, they give you that statuette and, and they don't even engrave it yet. They send you that later. Right. But they give you this, they, like the loner, right? right. Like at the, <laughs> at the Mercedes dealership, they give it to you, right? Sure. It doesn't say anything. <laughs> right. But they take that around right. like, like it's, it's, it's this totem. And it is. Right. I mean, come on. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's designed by Cedric Gibbons, who is one of the great production designers in Hollywood history. And it's right. this beautiful icon. How, how much does it weigh? Oh, it's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. Yeah, it's a doorstop, definitely. Yeah, and uh, and he and I'm following him around, and he's going, he's going to the Beverly Wilshire, and and and, and all these 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 hot spots. He goes to the Ivy. He goes to the. Oh, he definitely <laughs> went to the Ivy. Are you right. kidding me? Sure. Yeah. And and it's always a table for two, but it was only him and the Oscar. Oscar was plus one. Okay. <laughs> And but but look, I, I I can't mock him because I probably do. You probably do the same yeah, thing, yeah. right? I mean, it, it is. 
Wow. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Uh, so I think we will we'll close it out, but uh, we both are huge uh, uh, Pope of Greenwich Village fans. So we're going we're gonna, mm. uh, to close out with a, a, both our bad impressions of Eric Roberts going, Charlie, I'm just going to say it was so great to interview you. <laughs> Can I say something? <laughs> when the groom was in the stable... He wasn't just winding his watch. <laughs> I want to thank my good friend, Rennie Chun, for being here. Uh, it was awesome. I uh, love this guy. And please check it out on RennieChun.com. You'll see how prolific and brilliant this guy is. And there's more to come from him for sure. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to check us out at drinkingonthejob.wine. Until then... See you at the bar.